Hello and welcome to D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today we're compartmentalizing with Caleb Ulfers, founder of Haven Athletic, makers of innovative gym bags, uniquely designed to keep gear organized, accessible, and protected, making a haven for your gym-going habit to free your mind on getting absolutely shredded. This podcast covers Caleb's journey making, manufacturing, and marketing this totally unique product, which has become something of a status symbol among the gym-going elite in the know. We go deep on pricing strategy for press prestige products like Haven and the power of sales, especially when you rarely run them. We'll talk UGC, CGC, GNC. This podcast will pump you up. Hope you enjoy. On with the show. We haven't run like a really big sale. And so we had a lot of extra product. I basically bought a little bit too much product. And we had an iteration coming to that product. We needed to get rid of like maybe 400 units. So I was like, what if we run a sale, we allow some people who wouldn't normally be able to afford it to get in on it. And then ideally the sale works great and we move a bunch of this inventory. In April, we ran a weekend sale called Sale of the Century. And you know, we do at the time 4,000 bucks a day or so in revenue. And we did 100K over the weekend. So it was like, great moment to like take a step back breathe and be like holy shit everything is hard and like maybe we're not where we want to be but like that was cool like we did that shit Caleb welcome to the D2C podcast I'm a longtime Twitter follower so it's good to finally have you here tell me why did you build Haven Athletic yeah you bet Eric great to be here thanks for having me on Uh, It was a personal problem. Uh, I was in the gym 2016, digging around for my stuff, couldn't find it, emptied this bag out in the gym, pulled the bottom plastic part out of it, and it was my headphones. I was trying to find them, and that's where they were. And I was like, this is dumb. There's got to be something better. And that was kind of like the uh, inciting incident that was like, what if we started looking into this? I love it. Uh, As we were talking before, I just think this, I think the sports accoutrement, the sporting apparel, the sport, all the things that, that can help you, uh, you know, either look good or, or function really well in sports. It's just such a huge opportunity. I see the golf market blowing up in this regard, the, the football apparel, uh, regard. So it's cool to see that you're tackling it for the gym specifically. What was your first process when you had this vision of like a compartmentalized, like different sort of gym bag? What was your first process to actually like bring that reality into existence? Yeah, we went through, uh, so my background is software and um, lean startup is just like ingrained in who we are as a company. And so that's kind of what we follow. We're just like, what else is out there? How big is the market? Is this something worthwhile going after? Uh, do other people have this problem? So we just started asking questions like super non-biased, like marketing, that's my background. And so it's like, what do you think of your gym bag? Do you like anything? Do you not like anything? Was, is there anything that you would change? And basically everyone that we asked these questions to, no one was like, oh my God, I love my gym bag. It's so great. And here's why. Everyone was just like, yeah, no, my gym bag is just, it's a gym bag. It kind of sucks. Like, I don't really like it. It kind of pisses me off sometimes. Or like maybe a few answers really got deep into into like, no, I like really hate my bag. But at best, they were like midline. They were like, yeah, it's fine. Like I put my shit in it. Yep. So you knew there was room to move on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're like, okay, if, if a lot of people are answering the questions this way, then that's good. It's not just us. We feel it. That's like, that's like the hunch that we're going on. But now we have some confirmation. So once you had confirmation, what was your next step? 
After that, we started looking into how to prototype, and that was a whole wild period of life coming from software and technology into physical goods and having no idea the slightest, also wanting to do something really different. And so if you want to make a slightly better product, it's not too hard to go find a manufacturer of that product and be like, hey, I want it, you know, I want this, but I want it slightly changed. And we wanted to do something that had never been done before, literally. Uh, And so... We started just looking at like who makes a high quality bag, like um, like a tactical military style bag. Uh, and so we found some people on Alibaba and we did a bunch of Googling, looking for any sort of like manufacturer, manufacturer connection. Uh, we listened to podcasts on people who started e-commerce companies and like how they how they create their products and who they talk to. And some of them were like really expensive firms in New York. And we're like, that's not the route that we're going to go because we can't. And just kept like, researching every single day. And then we eventually found a couple people on Alibaba who were like, yeah, we think we can make this. And I had a list and this would have been in probably 2017. I think I had a list of about 10 different people who were like, yeah, sure. We'll give it a shot. And we didn't know what a technical pack was, which is like a blueprint for a physical good. We had no idea what we were doing. We had a picture of a really scrappy sample that we had made with like some measurements. And we're like, can you, can you make this? We're like, we're probably not doing this right. Um, and uh, and then eventually, like a uh, few of them, uh, out of like the ten or so we were talking to, I think like five of them actually tried and sent us these like garbage samples. And then one of them came through, and it was right. I skipped over a little bit of a point there, which was like we made a very scrappy sample ourselves. We took this old Nike bag, ripped it up, filled it with cereal cardboard and a grocery sack and a bunch of duct tape. And then I took this janky ass bag to the gym for like three months to just be like is this actually a good thing? Like is organization inside of a bag like helpful? Mm-hmm. And it was, and I showed it to people and we got a bunch of feedback on it. And that's kind of what led us into then to like finding a, trying to find some factory to produce it. That's super neat. So you did it without a product blueprint. You basically like, because the onus is on them, they want to become your supplier. They want to, they want to produce things, have products to produce. Mm-hmm. So they kind of took the, they, they took it on without like a very, a highly technical uh, diagram essentially or blueprint. Yeah, and I had heard from some other people, and I don't know how true this still is. It probably is, but uh, I had heard from some other people, if you want to get something made that you have to basically like embellish your story, it's like, oh, we've got a PO from Dick's Sporting Goods. Like, yeah, there's pro athletes that love our bag. They're gonna, we're going to buy so much. Like, you're going to get so much money from us. So, like, we kind of just told a lot of people that. <laughs> and I think that's kind of how we led to getting a, a sample made. <laughs> Hot tip there. I, I think I, I've, I've done a few product things here and then I always have just, you know, you really lead on to what a big deal. Like I'm kind of a big deal here. Uh, this is going to be huge. Yes. So that's awesome. So is that still your supplier at this point uh, that you, that the, the original person who got the picture? No, um, that person fell through or that factory fell through. That factory was in China. Um, and then after that, we were basically back to square one. We were like, shoot, like we had this list of people. Most of them turned out to be garbage. Uh, one of them turned out something good, but then kind of fell off the face of the earth and like weren't very helpful anymore. And so then we were like, all right, we need a, we've seen that someone can make it. Like that was step one. Like, can you just make it? Cause all the crappy samples that came through were basically like a lot like a camera bag. We took some inspiration from that. If you see the backpack and the camera bag, you're gonna be like, yeah, it kind of looks like it, the dividers. Um, the big difference though is like we 
we sew the dividers into the bag. And a camera bag, you obviously have like Velcro and soft gear. And we did that for a whole host of reasons, just thinking about gym and sweaty clothing and nylon and polyester and protein shakes and chalk. Don't mix with all of the materials in a camera bag. Like a camera bag is meant to carry hard metal protective yep. products. It's got that and soft felt. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like You're not the, like shoving your stuff. DSLR into your bag. But in the gym, oftentimes, especially if you're a gym goer, like you you treat your bag rough. Like you don't care. You're just going to shove your stuff in there. You're going to move stuff around. It's going to be filled with sweaty crap. And so we're like, this bag has to be like pretty tough, pretty gnarly. We need to sew those dividers in. It takes away the ability to like a modular bag where it's like you can really customize it. We might do that at some point, but we're like step one, it just needs to be high level, like some small spaces and some big spaces. Like that's a very simple fix we think we can do. And so when the factory made it, um, everyone had been telling us no and uh, or like trying to make it and sending us these crappy samples. And so once they made it, we're like, okay, cool. It is possible. It might be very difficult. And I think they even told us like, there's no way we could do this at scale. Um, we'll need to change things, but we did it how you want it. And I was like, that's all I need to know. Like, give me like an inch and I can run with that. And, uh, and so then we went back to the drawing board and we're like, how do we find a factory? And I think this was 2019 summer. Me and one of my co-founders, Nick, went to Outdoor Retailer, the world's biggest outdoor trade show in Colorado. And so you've got like the top tier, you've got Mountain Hardware and North Face and all these big companies. And then in the middle tier, you've got like uh, the Rumpel Blankets and all of those kind of like kind of mid-tier companies. And then on the bottom floor, you've got factories and fabric suppliers, uh, which I was like, I have no idea what we're doing. Like, what do you do with a fabric supplier? I'm like, I don't understand this, but I was like, hey, there's like three factories that produce bags. We should just go and talk to them and show them the one sample we have and be like, can you make this? And so that's what we did. Uh, we signed up as designers so we could get in for free. And then we went straight to these people. We showed them a bag, like, can you make it? And a couple of them were like, yeah, we think we can. And then I was like, all right, cool. That's like, that's a step. Let's just like get to know some of the other companies. Let's walk around. Let's have fun at this event. And we went up to the Peak Design booth, which Peak Design is an incredible camera bag company. They're very successful uh, and they're a really great company with good people. And I had chatted with a few of them over email and so I was like, oh, it's a great chance just like face to face. Like, let's say hi. Like, hey, it's us. We're the like gym bag company. <laughs> and so we met them and that was really cool. And then we followed up after and we're like, hey, like we'd love to join your Climate Neutral, which is the founder of Peak Design started a, a Climate Neutral that helps you offset your um, environmental impact by mostly by buying carbon credits. Um, and then as you get bigger by being a lot more intentional about materials you're using and the whole pipeline of how you're getting your products made and stuff like that. But um, really incredible company. We're like, we want to join that. Also, uh, do you guys know any factories? <laughs> and and, uh, and they were like, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll get you hooked up here. And then like, talk to this guy. He's he's the guy that helped us. And uh, essentially they introduced us to like a middleman group that manages the factory um, for them. And that's who got us into basically the exact same factory that Peak Design was working with which felt great because we're like, hey, we like their products. We're, we're fans of this company. We know they make really high quality products. So we have faith that they could probably make ours. And we are with a different one now, but we spent a lot of time with them making a really great you know, first sample and then the first couple of runs. 
That's so cool. I love the way D2C brands and businesses are, are can be helpful. And you're totally non-competitive. You're, you're building similar products, uh, but totally non-competitive. So it makes sense that they'd uh, they'd share the wealth there. That's super cool. And so you've you launched, you got the prototype made, you got your first product run. And then in your first year, I'm just kind of going off your your Twitter, uh, your your Twitter that you made or your tweet that you made earlier this year. You did, you know, 178K top line revenue in your first year out the gate. So you knew you had something. Yeah, yeah. So we technically ran um, a very small pre-sale. I don't consider it a part of like, you know, our first year of business because it's like we ran it for like 30 days. Um, but in 2020, um, right before COVID lockdowns, we were like, let's start selling this bag. Will people pay us money? And they did. And we did it for like two weeks and we made like 4,000 bucks or something. We're like, holy shit, people bought our bag. And then we're like, let's let's like try it again. Let's see if we can like make this a little bit bigger. And so a couple weeks later, um, even like COVID lockdowns, literally like weren't allowed to leave our house. We're like, I don't know, let's just try it. Like if it works now, that's a great sign. So we just turned it back on. We emailed some people, we posted on social and we ended up selling about like 10K in this little group. You know, we bought like a hundred bags from our factory and uh, it took about eight months to like develop and deliver them. But then yeah, 21, we hit the ground running pre-sales and did uh, about $178,000 in top line. And that was the, what was the method for that? Was that right into Facebook ads uh, or was that more organic? Yeah, uh, about 50-50 that year because I had run the ad for our first pre-sale because we were like, we don't have any reach. Like we just need an ad to like get our word, the message out there. So 21, I was like, all right, let's just do the same thing and let's start very cautiously. Let's spend a couple hundred bucks and see if it works again. And it did. And we were getting like a 5X return. We're like, that's crazy. Okay, let's let's spend like 500 bucks and then let's spend a thousand and then 2,500 and then 5,000. And then by June of 2021, I think I was spending like $15,000 on Facebook ads. And I was like, this is wild. Like we went from like, we're not sure if we should spend $200. That sounds like a lot. So like we're spending $15,000 profitably. Like this is cool. People are buying this really expensive gym bag. Like what is life? Amazing. And like, what was your creative approach in those early days? Were you relying on a few simple, strong creatives? Were you iterating like mad? You didn't have to iterate quite as much back then, maybe as you might now. What was your creative strategy? Yeah, we scaled on on basically one photo. Uh, and it was very simple. It was split down the middle. It was a messy bag. And then it was our organized bag. And it was your bag, our bag. Really straightforward. And then I think June, May and June was the time where I was like, okay, like I went through uh, like a a Facebook ads training course and shout out uh, CTC and your admission, which I've actually referred to another friend who's now running ads because I was like, I don't know, that's how I did it a couple years ago and it worked for me. So like pretty simple, straightforward course to like understand how to set stuff up. And um, yeah, so we, May and June, we're kind of getting to that point where I was like, I think we're supposed to start trying more ads or like more titles or like more stuff. So I started putting some new ones in there and testing. And um, and then it became very quickly, as uh, I think we all kind of know in this space, is like it became a full-time job. And I was like, I cannot really manage like running Facebook ads every single day, shooting the creative, uploading the titles and all of that, and then also like do anything else besides this. And so that's when we uh, found an agency and we started working with an agency in July of 2021. Nice. And then shaping ahead to 2022, you 5 x it, essentially 5 x it. Good job. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, essentially 5X, we went from like 178 top line in 2021 to about 910,000 uh, top line in 2022. And that's mostly meta, I bet, at that point. Oh, you bet. Yeah, yeah, just scaling meta. <laughs> scaling meta at a good, and I guess you, you're at, you're at. what's your price point again for your for your main op? 
item? Yeah, so we actually raised it over the last couple of years, which we knew. We were like, all right, let's like dip our toes into like this. We're also running um, throughout 21 and half of 22, we were pre-selling all of that. So we would put on the website, this is a pre-sale. It's not going to be delivered for roughly six months. Uh, We have about a four-month turnaround on creating products. So we're like, we want to run the pre-sale for a few months to get enough orders. And then... We'll order a little bit more than what we got. And then so as people keep ordering, we can let them know it's coming here. But then at a certain date, we're like, hey, order by this date and you'll get your bag by September. If you order one day after that, you're going to have to wait until January. And then we just kept doing that over and over and over. And I can't believe like how many people were willing to wait. And like uh, CS was a wasn't a nightmare. It was a pain in the ass for sure. Like you get people who don't understand it's a pre-sale or as soon as you like tell them that there's a delay, which is like very common if you know anything about the supply chain, especially during COVID when like things started to go really wonky. CS was like pretty rough where people are like, literally this is the third time you've been delayed. I'm calling bullshit. And I would send, and it was always like those I don't know if I, should, I don't know what I should say, but it's always like those like hyper American dudes that are just like, America, what? You don't make it in Vietnam. What's going on here? You're trying to like conspiracy theory. And I'm like, bro, I'm a fucking e commerce company. Like, I'm not trying to like this. No, pull your head out of your ass. And so I would send screenshots and links of the American embassy in Vietnam as proof to these customers, like, no, like, look, here's a message from the American embassy saying Vietnam as a country is shut down permanently. They're not allowed to do anything for three months. And that's why our product is delayed. Also, you could just cancel. If you're that pissed off, cancel. Take your money back. I don't care. But if you really want this bag, like, this is what you have to do to wait for it. Thanks, Joe so Biden. It was a, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was a it was a wild ride, like the presale and and all the stuff that went down during COVID. And then just diving into this, even just this tweet about some of your you know the big factors that helped you kind of get that bigger. The one that I, that I get drawn to is the fact that a you kind of created a category, which is really cool. Like it's not just a gym bag; it's the gym bag that no one has ever seen before. And that what that allows you to do is charge a lot more for it, which I bet has been an absolute key to to your success and your your ROAS. Yeah, it's uh, two factors. It's like, yeah, we consider it creating a category. It's an organized gym bag. If you Google organized gym bag, we're the top organic result. You'll also see an ad for us, of course, but top organic result because there's nothing else out there like it. And like, we have a patent on the design because there's nothing else out there like it. We worked with this uh, really great law firm um, that they've been in patent law for 40 years. And they're just like, yeah, we'll help you. And they're like, yeah, it turns out there's nothing else out there like this. And I'm like, great, let's fucking patent it. Uh, so we have a patent on the design and um, the category of organization, we just see a lot of opportunity. Like I was, I was looking at like the container store and Marie Kondo and we're just like, people like organization. Like why wouldn't they like it here? And especially if you look at uh, like a top tier athlete who's kind of like mentally um, and physically always trying to look for like 1% better, now it really makes a lot of sense. If you look at just like the average gym goer and you like present this like really expensive bag, doesn't work quite as well. Um, We have started to like transfer over into like brand and like, um, what's the word, like status symbol. So that's actually kind of a cool track that's like starting to open up for us. But initially it was like, A, this product costs a lot, so we have to charge a lot. Like it costs 10X what every other bag costs. It ships super expensive because it doesn't flat pack. Like most people can fit 10,000 units of a bag in a container. I can fit 1,000 units in a container. So like everything about this is very expensive, which also kind of like 
I could talk about so many things, but which also like uh, plays a bit into like our moat. You know, it's like it's an expensive product to make. It's an expensive pain in the ass product to ship. Um, and most people aren't willing to put that into it. And then you add the patent on it and you're like, okay, no, we actually have like like some early angel investors were like, hey, how is someone not going to rip you off? And I'm like, that, because they're not. One, we have a patent that scares most people off. Two, it is a pain in the ass to make this product. To ship it. And everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah everything. Uh, it's, a, it's a pain in the ass and it's super expensive. And so like we have to charge what we're charging to make money and to like build a company off of this. Amazing. And then so in 2023, how are you trending in 2023 compared to uh, 2022? So we're still 5Xing. Um, it's a little bit, let's be honest here, like it's, it's not like, whoa, at the end of the year, if we 5X, it'll be whoa, right? Like we did nearly a million. So that means we'd be close to to 5 million, which would be great. That would be awesome. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get there. And we're in the middle of that right now. But the start of last year, um, last year was a big ramp, right? Like January was like 7,000 in revenue. And then it was like 15,000. And then by June, we were at like 45,000. And then by December, we were at 150,000. And so like, it's easy to 5X Q1 and Q2. We're currently, we did, we did that for Q1. We're currently still growing and we're doing that for Q2. It'll be really impressive if we do it for Q3 and 4, because that means like we're going to have to, the goal, um, if we want to keep doing that is basically to get to a million a month in revenue by December. And we're working towards it. Uh, we're definitely coming up against a couple things that are like a little bit harder to do, um, to push into like a 200,000, 300, $400,000 month, but we're getting there. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that lines up well with Q4, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Yeah. Really blow it out and uh, hopefully do some like new product and some custom colorways. And we've got this athlete, this professional athlete in CrossFit that we're sponsoring now. And so something with her, like there's a lot of really exciting stuff in the pipeline. Talk a little bit about that. You mentioned the bag kind of starting to become a status symbol. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how is is that just happening? Just because it's so unique out there, and then and then talk a little bit about some of the uh, celebrity athlete attention the brand has got. Yeah, I think part of it is because it's expensive, um, so it's not um, attainable by everyone. And then part of it is like it generally looks pretty fucking sick. Like if I do say so myself, <laughs> um, it's a, it's a nice looking bag. Like we get a lot of reviews that are like, oh, this is aesthetic. Like it looks very nice. And so you've got the the price, um, you've got the the look of it, and then kind of collabing with the status and like working with these professional athletes is like it's kind of a desirable product because these people have it. And so it's uh, kind of like a Yeti, you know, you show up to your friend's boat party and you can carry your 15-year-old Coleman, which honestly, I'm still that person. I haven't bought a $400 Yeti yet, um, but I'm mildly embarrassed about it. Like, it's not cool. It's not like, oh, look at how economical I am. It's like, no, your cooler sucks. Like, have you seen this Yeti? And then you just like fawn over your friend's really expensive cooler. That essentially does the same thing. He probably gets, he maybe gets a yeah. little bit colder in there, but maybe Coleman- it keeps your stuff cold for a little bit longer but you're like i'm not on the boat for four days this isn't like survivor like why do i need that but it is cool i love their products i'm a big fan of yeti oh yeah um yeah but that's a i think a little bit of the same right where it's like it's an expensive product it does a great job um it's not necessarily like life-changing it's a cooler it's a gym bag but um it is cool and if you can afford it it kind of like sets a little bit of a standard. Um, And then with all the athletes we're working with who have that like 1% better mentality and um, have found us organically, like 
Outside of the main athlete within CrossFit, Danielle Brandon, four times CrossFit, CrossFit Games athlete, um, doing really great this year. We're really excited to see how she does in August. She just dominated the semifinals and took second. She's a sponsored athlete. But then outside of that, all the other athletes we work with have come to us organically. They see the bag. They send us a DM. They're like, yo, this bag is dope. Could I snag one? Like, And I'm like, as long as you're like a pretty decent like athlete, you have some following, it's like, hell yeah, I would love to send you one. Like, If you don't mind like posting a reel or a story and they're always like, yeah, for sure. Not a big deal. Like this product is dope. And then we usually hear on the back end, like, no, like this bag is actually like killer. Like we love your bag. Like I have athletes who still like message me and like, they'll, they'll continually post about it. Like greatest bag ever. Like love this bag. Like John Weeks was one of our first one. He's a Houston Texans long snapper. And he just messaged me a couple weeks ago and he's like, Hey, we got training camp coming in July. Do you want to meet me in California and like shoot some content for the bag? And I'm like, like for, for for free, like you just want to like help us because like you love our product. Like that to me is like bonkers. Like, and it also like is a, is a really positive signal. Like we're onto something here when we've got people like that, that are like, yeah, it's not just a gym bag. It like actually makes a little bit of a difference in my life. Are there, that makes me think of channel selling or B2B opportunities. Like, is there opportunity for you to like sell to the Houston Texans or to various gyms themselves? Yeah. Um, gyms themselves could be tough. We do have a connection into Equinox and I think something like that could make sense because you've got that really high tier professional person and they're already paying a lot of money for their um, membership. Same thing with like CrossFit. Um, you know, CrossFit tends to be expensive and that's a little bit of our target market. And so there's opportunities to do something there. It's kind of tough to get the product because the product does cost us a lot of money. And then if we're like, we want to get this in 10,000 gyms, you're like, well, that's that's uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of product for us to do that. Like, yeah, sure, we could sell a lot off of it, but I think there is some kind of model there. Just we haven't quite dug into it or figured it out yet. Um, I think for me, it's a little bit in line with like, we have some conversations with like Dick Sporting Goods and a few other groups um, that we're talking to, like could retail work for this? And if so, how? Because it, you can't just throw a $300 bag in the store and be like, look at this $300 bag, like you should buy it. Like it has to be very intentional. And so that's where we think about working with, especially athletes that we have in the NHL, NFL, NBA, um, MLS, I mean, across like pretty much every major sport, UFC, and using their likeness with our bag and then setting up some kind of stand where you walk into Dick Sporting Goods or wherever it is and you see this like, you know, four top tier athletes across multi-sport and you're like, this is the bag for any sport. This is the premier athlete bag. If you're in high school, if you're in college and you don't have this bag, you'll never get a deal. <laughs> like, you know, however we position it, but it's it's something along those lines. And I think there's an opportunity very similar. Um, I love referencing Yeti, but very similar to what Yeti did, where it's like Yeti worked in stores because they talked to these stores and they're like, how much do you make on that cooler? And they're like 10, 15 bucks. And they're like, cool. If you sell ours, I know it's crazy, but if you sell ours, we'll give you a hundred bucks. And they're like, we'll find a way to sell it. And because our product is expensive, we kind of have that same opportunity where I'm like, how much do you make on that Nike bag, the Under Armour bag? Oh, you make 20, 30 bucks. Cool. I can give you a lot more than that if you want to sell ours. This episode is brought to you by Live Recover, an incredibly effective Shopify app that gives you access to an expert team of live agents who work on behalf of your brand to recover abandoned checkouts in real time. Live Recover is able to reach six times more potential customers than email or SMS automations because they have actual humans sending personally crafted messages to anyone who leaves their phone number at checkout. Live Recover doesn't conflict with your email and SMS tools like Klaviyo or Voyage SMS and can lift your top line revenue by over 
Check them out and get a 30-day no-risk trial when you sign up at liverecover.com slash DTC. I just love how transparent you've been You're on on your Twitter here. You got to follow Caleb on, uh, and what we'll include is his uh, follow on the on the show notes here. But the thing that blew me away, your average order rate, obviously, or your average order value at like almost three hundred bucks, which which makes sense for the, for the bag. That's that's amazing. But your returning customer rate, a ten percent returning customer rate. How many people are buying more than one of these three hundred dollar bags? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely wild, and it's gone up since. I think I checked it recently, and it was at fifteen percent. Um, and I think part of it just like speaks to product. Like we created an incredible product. We put our heart and souls into this thing, blood, sweat, and tears, whatever you want to call it. Like we, uh, you know, we really worked hard to make an incredible product and it's not perfect. And some people it just doesn't work great for, but the vast majority of them, like they get it, they touch it and they're sold. If they don't already have it, like once we showed up at a booth at the CrossFit games, People finally came through and like, you know, they've seen our ads because we were just advertising the crap out of them. And then they touch it and they're like, yeah, I've seen this online. Oh, whoa, this is really great. And like at that point, they're sold. And so once we get it in people's hands, it's the same thing where it's like, okay, cool. Like my partner, my brother, my father, my whatever also works out. I'm going to buy them one as a gift or I'm going to go tell them or like somehow like I'm going to come back to this company. And so... I think that's a little bit of our of our big vision, right? Is you know we can now we've got seven thousand some odd customers, fifteen percent, ten to fifteen percent returning customer rate, off just four SKUs, which have a lot of overlap. A backpack and a duffel are virtually similar, um, and so like once we start expanding SKUs, you know we've got the fanny bag, we've got a sling bag, we've got a shoe bag, we've got the runner, we've got whatever like the opportunity really starts to explode. And I think that's where a huge growth is for us probably in 2024. Amazing. Like, yeah, how big can this thing get? I guess it's its its own category. So for for high-end people who work out across any sport, it's its an opportunity. Yeah, do you want to hear my, my crazy founder beliefs? Yes, let's go crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, so there's two companies that I look to. I mean, you got to have the examples, right? So like Osprey is a outdoor pack company. They sold for $400 million to PE. And then 511 Tactical is a uh, kind of military style tactical bag company. And they also sold for $400 million to PE. And so I'm like, well, baseline, like we should be able to build a company that, that sells for $400 million. But um, I think they were both doing somewhere around like $100 million in top line, which is what Peak Design is doing every year right now. And I'm like, that's camera bags, that's military bags, and that's outdoor bags. The fitness industry is significantly bigger. The athletic industry is significantly bigger. Duffel and backpack gym bags is a $34 billion industry. And then that doesn't even touch on some like travel or ways that people are using it, which are even bigger. And so, of course, I think we can build a billion-dollar company in this space, whether I want to or not, or whether like we actually can, who knows. But like the opportunity is 100% there to own this category and then expand. Like if Away Luggage can create an affordable Ramoa and then 10 other brands can follow suit and build $100 million and billion-dollar companies, we first certainly can do the same. Super interesting. And those two companies that you referenced, they're probably – don't have the D2C chops you guys have, right? Like I imagine they grew that almost exclusively uh, or or a large percentage like through traditional retail distribution, would you say? Yeah, Peak for sure, like or Osprey for sure, because they actually just did, a, I think it was a Why, How I Built This or whatever, um, which is a really great pod, like really, really fun listen, like a really good company. They've made, they made some like good human decisions as they grew, but it was retail for sure. 5.11 I think did do some... Um, 
direct to consumer, but um, I don't know how much. And then I think they also had like some military contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think about that. Those contracts, like, how do you get the contracts with the with the sporting team so they're providing these things for their athletes? Yeah. But then also, what's your what's your thinking for retail? Like, I guess you you mentioned Dicks. You're having conversations with Dicks. Like, what's your approach for retail in general right now? Yeah, we haven't touched it yet. Um, just everyone who I've talked to about it is like, wait until you have the upper hand. Like, don't try to work your way into it. Like. Wait until you can be like, look at all of these athletes using our bag. Look at, here's how we could do it. Here's how much we're doing in volume. Like people are desperate to get their hands on it. If you sell it, it'll sell out right away. Like, so we haven't really pursued it until recently we had a connection and it was like, Hey, this could be a thing. Also like, um, some of those retailers are willing to kind of work with smaller companies and kind of test and trial and be like, Hey, let's not just like buy a bunch for a bunch of stores and then have this fail. Let's test this in like one or two stores and let's play around with the displays and and the merchandising of everything to figure out like the right way to do it so it will move. Um, and then same, you know, for us with like the advertising or whether we're using billboards or Facebook or just like driving people to that store. I do think there is, uh, I mean, like I said earlier, like with Yeti, I do think there's a big possibility to do something in retail. I don't know exactly how to do it. Like we're still pretty early, so. You mentioned, I think, on the pre-interview, you talked about how you just had a pretty successful sale and how sales haven't been a real part of your strategy going forward. Can you talk about your philosophy around discounts and sales and, and how it worked out recently? Uh, yeah. Also, if anyone wants to <laughs> give me a holler and tell me how I should think about it, that would be great. Yeah. Um, I've been keeping track of like a bunch of questions that I don't even know yet. Like We're still just figuring out a ton of things. Um, you know, how to run sales, how much to run sales, how often to run sales, what the percentages should be, what the dollars off should be, um, how to do it across like multiple things. Like if we're giving this group a special sale um, versus like online, your welcome flow sale. Um, and I'm very like aware of how other brands are doing it too. So like I just bought a Monos suitcase um, and I was like, huh, this is kind of expensive. Also like your discounts are on lock, like 5% off, that's it. And I'm like, you're selling a $450 suitcase and you're going to give me 20 bucks off? Like, yes, I'm still going to buy it because I'm a degenerate, but like, but like, holy shit. I'm like, and we, we, we discount way more than that. And I'm like, okay, so this is interesting. Like high tier brand, high tier product doesn't discount heavily, at least like initially on like welcome flow and website and influencers. So we haven't done a ton of like very specified sales. We kind of generally have like a $20 off, $30 off. We're testing fondue, um, which is like a cashback program. That's been pretty solid for us. But then we ran this really big sale. Basically, like we've always been like pretty honest, especially with the pre-sales. So like I'll jump on Instagram and I'll be like, hey, here's what's happening. And like, hey, I'm Caleb. I'm CEO and co-founder. Like this is what we're doing. Um, you know, we're really grateful that all of you are following us and, and buying our product. That's cr pretty crazy. But we haven't run like a really big sale or a really like focused sale. And so we had a lot of extra product. I basically bought a little bit too much product. And um, we had an iteration coming um, to that product. So the large duffel, we were changing something small and um, we needed to get rid of like maybe 400 units. I was like, we could keep selling these, but then the other ones are just going to sit there. It's going to take us maybe a month or two to get through them. So I was like, what if we run a sale? Uh, because we have people commenting all the time, like, hey, $300 is crazy. Like... So we run a sale, we allow some people who wouldn't normally be able to afford it to get in on it. Uh, and then ideally the sale works great and we move a bunch of this inventory. 
And that was kind of the hypothesis, and it worked. <laughs> uh, long TLDR, it worked. Uh, in April, we ran a, a weekend sale called Sale of the Century. So we hyped it up for a couple weeks. We were like, hey, look, we we don't do sales. Like, sure, we do the 10, 20, 30 off, whatever, but we don't do like a focus sale. We don't plan on ever doing it again, which is actually something we don't plan on doing. Like, it was like, a, this is a one-time, like, we're in a situation where it's like, hey, what's up? Hey, I'm Caleb. Like, we're, we have a lot of extra product. We could actually use the money right now to pay our factory. Um, and we want to get this new iteration in. And we have a bunch of people who are looking for a really great discount, a reason to buy it. So like, that's what we're doing. It's coming up this weekend. We hope you are able to get in on it. And so we set it all up, we ran it. And, you know, we do, I'm uh, pretty open about this stuff, but like right now we're doing at the time, 4,000 bucks a day or so in revenue. And we did 100K over the weekend from Friday to Sunday. So it was like drastically increased, like wild. It was basically like kind of our low level goal was like 50. And it was like, hey, if we get to 100, that would be cool. The most we could sell would be like 200. So exceeded our expectations. We brought 100K in the door over a weekend. That was insane. Like I remember last August when we hit 100K in a month. And I'm like, now we're here. Like that's wild. It's like, this is a great moment to like take a step back, breathe and be like, holy shit, like, Everything is hard and like maybe we're not where we want to be, but like that was cool. Like we did that shit. That's wild. And how was the contribution margin with the steep discount? I bet you still, because you have so much margin to play with, you still probably had a pretty healthy bottom line margin. Yeah, great question. I should have just like, uh, I was just talking to someone else about that. I should have mentioned that right off the bat, but like, um, that was like, I had naturally gone to Twitter and been like, Hey, how should I think about like running sales? And that was like, several people were like, you don't think about the dollars off. You think about the contribution margin. I'm like, look, I get it. If you're selling like a $20 toe spacer product and your contribution margin is $2, you do have to think about it, but I'm selling a $300 bag. I have a very healthy contribution margin. I don't have to think about giving $20 off. And so I was like, okay, my assumption is that if we give, $100 off, our CAC will just drop like a rock and we will make about the same contribution margin. And that is exactly what happened. On day one and day two, $100 off, CAC dropped like a rock to like $20, I think. Um, and so contribution margin was almost exactly the same. And then Sunday, it like crept back up, but it was still just insane. Like our MER was like 20X or something stupid like that. And so I was like, we had, we had thought through it and we're like, hey, even if we don't drop the CAC, like we have to move the product and we've already paid for it. So it's still cash in the door. We're a small startup, like we're scrappy. We have to do what we have to do. But I was like, in an ideal world, the CAC drops and the contribution margin stays very close. And that's exactly what happened. And that, and does that make you think like, again, you just, I think you just said you raised your prices, right? So because you're still, you're still selling out at your raised prices. So it doesn't, and because the product has so much complexity to ship, to create all these things that I would imagine is the reason you're not thinking about lowering the price, like going forward. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We, um, I think we still have some opportunity to actually price test and push that ceiling a little bit more and see where it's at, whether that's with our current products and just updating them or just increasing the price or whether we're bringing in some new products or if it's limited edition, maybe we don't do any sales on it. But I think um, I think there's a lot of room for us like with landing pages and with creative um, and offers and pricing to kind of find an even more optimized mix than where we're at now. 
What are, you brought up landing pages. That's something I always love to talk about. Like again, with a product where there's a fair amount of education, yeah. where you want to, you know, introduce people to a new category, for instance, are landing pages something you're currently using and, and have they been successful? Yes, they are something we're currently using. We haven't been using them for very long. We should have started using them much earlier. So this is a signal. If you're not using landing pages, go start fucking using them. <laughs> Don't be like us. Um, and we're using a very simple like five reasons why right now. And we've done a ton of iterations on it and we're kind of finding one that's working pretty well. But um, we have a bunch more that we're planning. And I think exactly what you said there, like education, like I'm a big fan of what Matt at Lomi is doing. And I think they do a great job across they're very aspirational for us because they are creating a category and it's an expensive product and it needs education. And that's part of like the creating a category is like you have to educate on the problem. Like there's some people who know right off the bat, they're like, I hate my fucking bag. I want something that's organized. I wish someone would make it. And they email us that too. Like, why has no one made this until you? Thank you so much. But then there's a, a certain group of people who like, yeah, they kind of don't like their bag, but like educating them on like, here's why it's a problem. And it's not that your gear is a mess. Sure, that's super annoying, like digging around for your gear, but it's mostly that like it wastes mental energy digging around wondering where the hell your gear is did i leave it at home is it in this bag is it ruined like uh various gear can get ruined or like if your headphones pop out like are they dead now and you can't use them or did you get a crimp in your jump rope because it was like shoved in there or did you spill your protein shake in another part of your bag or on your gear which is actually how the relationship between us and our sponsored athlete came together last year at the CrossFit Games. She had a Noble bag and spilled her protein shake in it. And I was like, you know what? doesn't happen in a Haven bag. Spilling your protein shake. Nice. Perfect. Perfect yeah. native uh, native selling pitch right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it brings me up to the brand too, this idea of like creating a haven for your habit, which is something we discussed. And it's like, it, you know, you, you brought up that Steve Jobs mentality. He only wore his black turtleneck, so it was just one last decision he had to make. Going to the gym is hard enough for people. So if you have this like sanctuary that keeps everything, you know, clean and tidy, it's going to make you more likely to indulge that habit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And it's whether you're a, a working mom of three uh, or a professional athlete, like if you're creating a moment in your day to go better yourself and something gets in the way of that, it's infuriating. You want to destroy that thing. And the last thing that should get in the way of that is like messy gear or a missing headphone or something where it's like, okay, cool, I'm here. I'm going to do the thing, especially, and I think this is the educational part that we're going to get a lot better at is especially for like the non-professional athlete where you're really we uh just did some like personas where it's like you are fighting for that moment like busy mom of three is literally an email we got so that's why we reference it where it's like hey i'm a busy mom of three this is going to make a drastic difference in my life because you know i'm running around with kids all day and i want my stuff organized and if it's not organized if i waste 10 15 minutes looking for something i might not get to the gym today and it's very important that i get to the gym because it's keeping me sane and it's like it it's like an onion where it's like, it's not just like, I want to go to the gym. It's like, I want to go to the gym because I want to make myself better because I want to be a good mom to my kids. And because if I don't go, I'm going to feel crazy. And, you know, it just like, it peels back. And now all of a sudden, the idea of like having an organized bag is very impactful. It's not just like a little thing. Very cool. If we were to give you $100,000 to be used in your growth marketing, would you, be, would you just do more of what you're already doing? Or would you, would you split it out into another initiative? Well, Shark Eric, um, I would love to take your hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's right. This is this um, is no strings attached. Even this is this is a totally oh yeah, no equity. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, great. I would like to I would like to take this deal. Um, yeah, we would hundred k. We would probably still just funnel that into Facebook marketing. 
Nice. And just test more, just scale more. Mostly just scale more. Yeah, give us a little more room. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're kind of still playing with budgets and finances regularly, even as we grow. And so having a little extra room to be like, eh, if we drop like below our goal mer, like that's okay. Like we've got a little extra room, you know, for a week or two to like really test. And then it brings me to like maybe one of my last questions is on Meta, you you know, you started with the, you, were, you had the one ad that, that scaled you up to begin with. What, you know, and I, I just did, I was talking on All Killer No Filler yesterday about, um, Obvi's some of the guy the guys from Obvi's post and I think Taylor from Common Thread Collective did it. Everyone's like UGC is dead. Everyone's talking about it. everyone. Marketers love to say loves to love to kill things. They do. Uh, yeah, what, blanket what, statements. What's your hot take on that blanket statement? Are you are you seeing what's first of all? Yeah, what's working on Meta Creative Wise and is UGC dead as far as you're concerned? <laughs> I am not qualified to to hot take this. Um, we still run quite a bit of UGC that's like mashed up, smushed together. Um, it's also, to be fair, it is what's the new f- creator generated CGC. Very close. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like, huh. okay. So to be fair, the two video ads, we have a handful of testers, you know, whatever, but like, we have two big ones that we really put a lot of spend into and they are both UGC and CGC, and the CGC is me. I'm the content creator. Like, it's me. It's my bag. I know how to shoot it. I know how it affects, uh, or I know, like, the the thing that I'm trying to get, um, the feeling that I'm going after, like, reaching into your bag, like, pulling something out, or just, like, an overhead shot of me, like, putting things in all of the compartments. And so the biggest ads we have are a ton of shots of that, like, at my home, in my car, um, working out, whatever, and then they're chopped up with some of our actual customers content. Nice. Yeah, I think I think fake crappy UGC doesn't work anymore. Like really like yeah. like high and just like talking through things, but if you're showing mm-hmm. someone who's actually using the product in an authentic way and and like you're having those authentic connections, like that's not going to go out of that's not going to be dead anytime soon, but like yeah. cheesy crappy UGC, sure, it's dead. Yeah, yeah. Level it up, be a little better. We're working through that now where we have like some scripts and we kind of like know what we're going for. So like with the professional athletes or with other people who have the bag and who want to create stuff for us, we can like give them this this kind of idea, this script of like, hey, shoot a couple shots like this, say a couple of these phrases, and then do whatever you want outside of that as long as we get those it'll probably be good and it'll be a little bit higher tier than just like, we've definitely gotten some like pretty like lower tier stuff where it's just like, yeah, we'll send you a bag, create whatever you want. And then it's not as good. Well, if you're listening, you want to be following Caleb. Like, like just there, there aren't as many people that are as transparent. I think about about your the, the stages of growth that you're in. I'm wondering, is that something that's ever been a has that ever been a rubbing point with any of your your co-founders or anything? Or are you just sort of of the mind? Like, I like it's the, my favorite thing about this space is how open and honest everyone is. Is that is that a, a conscious decision you've made? And is it something that you've ever had any issues with? Yeah, conscious decision. Um, haven't had any issues yet. I think some people make make some good points about like building in public and and it can invite some negative things. But so far, like on Twitter, like I'm not the biggest influencer. I'm not trying to be an influencer, but like when I share, people help. Like yes. people message me and they offer help for free. And we've been connected to investors. Um, we've been connected to partners. We've done that. The Black Friday partnership that we did, that was half of it was because of Twitter, understanding how to do what we're doing. Like when I ask a question about sales or when I ask a question about whatever and like 10 people drop in, they're like, here's what I know. Here's how we're doing it. You should talk to this person. And I'm like, that is invaluable. Like it would be like, I'm a big fan of Mentor Pass and what Kenny's building and being yep. able to like access um, professionals for 
honestly, it's so cheap for like what you're getting, like whether it's 500 bucks for an hour or more, or like I think Charm is charging a lot now these days. Um, but it's still worth it because you're just like, man, this is like cream of the crop advice I'm getting. And Twitter posting in, in public on Twitter is like, uh, is like scratching the surface of that. It's like, okay, I can get a little bit of this. I can get a little bit of direction. I can like even just help like, I can either get a full on answer or I can help like form my thoughts around this a little better. And then from there, for someone like me, like I would take it to like mentor pass instead of just being like, hey, I don't even know how to think about this. I'm like, hey, like I've thought about this. I've talked to these people. We have this kind of setup. How do we make it better? I think that's a great insight, and I think uh, I just I just got some help on Twitter today, and and it reminds me of this hot seat that I ran in my Las Vegas event recently, where multiple people came up and and as business owners shared their biggest challenges, and the person who went deepest with their vulnerability about like how the position that they were in or whatever, the outpouring of support they got from people mm-hmm. because they were willing to be a little bit more vulnerable, I think really was evident and really makes it makes it worthwhile to be open and transparent when you can, and not just be one of those. D2 to see startup bros. Yeah. That we're, we're all, we are all are also those things. So yeah. Hello, Twitter bros. Yeah, um, that's right. Shout out Carly McFarlane. I was talking to Jacques from Raindrop as well. And he said this uh, thing that I kind of laughed at. And he's just like, it was just kind of like a, a no, no goal, like intro call, like, Hey, let's get to know each other. And he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know much about like what you're doing, but I know like whenever you post, like there's a bunch of people that are like cheering you on. And I think that's really cool. And I was like, yeah, honestly, that's kind of like one of the benefits of Twitter is like, we're, we're a small little insular e-com community and we generally kind of cheer each other on like, hell yeah, you're doing it. Way to go. Like this shit's really hard. <laughs> So like any any kind of like support we can get is incredible. I love it. Well, follow Caleb on Twitter. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. This was a ton of fun. I am on your side. I, I was before, but now I really am. <laughs> Great. And I am Appreciate going it. to be following up with you too because I want to see uh, see what happens for the rest of this year and beyond as you become a, I do believe you could become a billion dollar company and uh, and I have that $100,000 investment in there. So I'm sure. <laughs> yes, <there>. let's go. <laughs> Thank I'm you sure for having me on. Out. This was a blast. You asked great questions. Uh, a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.